A brand new special counsel now focused on Hunter Biden. The lead starts right now. The attorney general's surprise announcement, the prosecutor who has been who was overseeing the Hunter Biden case is now being elevated to a special counsel. What will this mean for the president's son? What will this mean for the president? And Donald Trump might be told to zip it, the judge in the 2020 election fraud case, signaling that she is going to be willing to restrict sensitive evidence, as she tells Trump's attorneys. The former president's right to free speech is not absolute. And Hawaii's catastrophe sadly getting worse. Historic towns gone, homes burned to the ground. 55 lives confirmed lost, and that number is sadly expected to climb. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start today with our law and justice lead in a new special counsel investigating Hunter Biden. The new title gives U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump holdover who had already been investigating Mr. Biden's son, more powers than he had as a federal prosecutor. Now, you might recall just a few weeks ago, it looked as though this investigation was coming to an end. Hunter Biden went to court after his lawyers had supposedly struck a deal with Weiss's prosecutorial team. But that deal fell apart in court among much skepticism voiced by the judge. The two sides were told, tried to keep negotiating, but now the Justice Department says it looks as though this case is headed to trial. Prosecutors allege Hunter Biden failed to pay more than a million dollars in taxes on time. He also faced a federal gun charge for lying on his background check form that he was not using drugs at the time. But Republicans in Congress have also alleged that Hunter Biden was involved in much more serious crimes, including money laundering. Whistleblowers have claimed that the case was not treated as it should have been. Speaker Kevin McCarthy today asked of the now special counsel, Mr. Weiss, quote, if Weiss negotiated the sweetheart deal that couldn't get approved, how can, be, be, how can he be trusted as special counsel? Let's get straight to CNN senior legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed. Paula, this investigation has been going on for five years. So why now for a special counsel? It's unclear. The Justice Department will only say that on Tuesday, Weiss asked to be changed to this designated special counsel. He is, as you noted, the U.S. attorney. He was appointed by former President Trump. And he's been overseeing the investigation into Hunter Biden for, like you said, approximately five years. But there's no official explanation for why he wanted to change to a special counsel now. But we have seen in court filings that it appears that the talks between the U.S. Attorney's Office and Hunter Biden's legal team to resolve the issues that the judge identified with that plea deal, that those have fallen apart and that this is likely to go to trial. That appears to be the impetus, but it's really unclear Now, one of the big differences now that he's a special counsel is that Weiss is going to have to compile a full report detailing what he investigated and his findings, hand that to the attorney general who has vowed to make it public. Now, I've also learned that the White House was not given a heads up about this and neither were Hunter Biden's attorneys. How much more likely does it make it that the president's son is definitely going to go on trial? It appears a lot more likely, Jake. I mean, for a minute there, it appeared that this was going to be resolved with that plea deal. Uh, Even after the judge pushed back, asked for additional briefings, expressed skepticism, I think both sides expected that ultimately it would be approved. But if there were any modifications, we got signals that indeed the Hunter Biden team was willing to take this to trial. So at this point, the fact that he has gotten the special counsel designation, he can now bring cases in any jurisdiction. It does appear that the most likely outcome here is that this goes to trial. 
Paula, stick with us, because I also want to bring in CNN's Arlette Sines, who's at the White House for us. Arlette, what, what has been the Biden administration's reaction to this news? Well, Jake, the White House has really maintained this stay quiet strategy, referring all questions to the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's personal representatives. And I'm told by White House officials here that the White House officials and President Biden received no heads up that Barrett Garland was about to make this appointment of a special counsel in the probes investigating the president's son. But this really just marks the latest chapter in the ongoing legal and personal saga surrounding Hunter Biden, which has really come front and center in President Biden's reelection election bid. Just two weeks ago, the Bidens had felt and hoped that they were about to turn the page as Hunter Biden was expected to plead guilty to those tax charges. But as you mentioned, those that tax, that plea deal fell apart. And the appointment of this special counsel indicates that the investigation will continue. But this also comes as it marks a new phase for President Biden, as Republicans have repeatedly sustained their criticism and questions about his son's uh, business dealings and accusations of the Biden family being corrupt. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Republicans have threatened the possibility of an impeachment inquiry, something that the White House has pushed back on as uh, describing it as a stunt. But this also is a very personal matter for President Biden. When he has spoken about his son, Hunter, it's it's to express his love and support, saying that he believes that his son has done nothing wrong. It was supposed to be a pretty quiet day for President Biden here at the White House. He had no public events on his schedule. He had one phone call to Hawaii's governor to talk about the wild fires there. But in a little less than an hour, we are expecting President Biden to depart the White House for Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, where he has a home. That'll be the first time he's in front of reporters. So we will see whether he decides to comment in any way regarding the appointment of this special counsel as it is now the investigation entering a new phase. All right. All that signs at the White House today. Thanks so much. Uh, CNN's Paula Reed is back with me along with CNN chief legal analyst Laura Coates. Laura, are you surprised that there's now a special counsel five years into this investigation after a plea deal had almost been agreed upon. I mean, that plea deal was within the reach of, of course, Hunter Biden. I'm sure he's lamenting right now whatever fiasco actually occurred in that courtroom to not have all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed to have this already go through. Remember, we've heard already from David Weiss about what the process was like. He has said, I have the authority to do so. All the talking points are contrary to what my experience was. But now this raises a lot of questions. And whatever happened on Tuesday, as what Paul is alluding to, now does make me feel surprised about, well, why now? What is happening here? Remember, he is still the U.S. attorney in Delaware, but now this special counsel allows him to actually go beyond his own jurisdiction. You can look at other areas as well. It's the reason you have Jack Smith not having to confine to one particular jurisdiction. He can go beyond that. He can have things in in Florida. He can have things in Washington, D.C. It does now go beyond that. But at its core... I wonder what the decision really came down to. The special counsel statute says you can have this if you first look to figure out, does a matter actually warrant an investigation? Is it warranted? He had to conclude that it did, if you're Garland. Was there a conflict of interest at play here? The talking points you see on the right and the left have suggested talking points around this very notion that there is a conflict of being able to have the president appoint the attorney general who would oversee an investigation into his own son. son. But finally, it's the idea of what are you going to do about it now? And is there a way that you can structure an investigation that is in the interest of the public to have the information? Garland says all three criteria are met. And so whatever took place between the plea agreement and now is anyone's guess. So, Paula, help me out here. Um, David Weiss, the U.S. attorney, now special counsel, had previously said in writing that he had all the power he needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
He, he didn't need any more authority. If he wanted to do charges in D.C., he could reach out to the U.S. attorney in D.C. If he wanted to do charges in L.A., he could sure, reach yeah. out to... But now he has special counsel powers that give him that authority in writing. In between, we should note, there were whistleblowers saying that behind the scenes, David Weiss was complaining, I don't have the authority to charge in this city or that state. And the Justice Department was saying, no, 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 those whistleblowers are wrong. It looks as though maybe the whistleblowers were right. It's messy, right? It appears that here they're trying to insulate uh, the Justice Department, particularly the Attorney General, from what appears to be uh, a case that is headed to a likely trial of the president's son. And I think they're hoping that this special counsel designation will also insulate them from potential congressional testimony. Because remember, there are calls for Weiss to go on the Hill, but now they can say, well, the special counsel Durham, special counsel Mueller, they testified after they submitted their report. And there's a lot of emphasis today at the Justice Department on this report and how that will offer some transparency here. And that may be fair in some respects, but that is not going to satisfy Republicans who have a lot of questions about this investigation if that report and the special counsel designation are now going to be used to prevent him from going to the Hill. Yeah, it's not just Republicans who have questions. I have questions. I'm yeah. sure you guys have questions. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting my answers. <laughs> um, but but here, here's another one for mm-hmm. you. Okay, so I'm David Weiss. Once again, uh, play, play this game with me. I'm the special counsel. Just a few weeks ago, I was ready to say, eh, a diversion and a slap on the wrist, a misdemeanor. Really, really it was not a big punishment. Uh, and now I want special counsel authority to investigate something that just a few weeks ago I was basically saying, this is the most I can prove in a court of law. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me either. I, by the way, I'm fully willing to believe that there's a lot more to investigate mm-hmm. and a lot more to charge him with. But that wasn't his position a few weeks ago. And remember, go back to that courtroom where the judge had that same question when she talked about, have you contemplated this is actually going to be the 360, everything solved now, and assume that Hunter Biden's team had either negotiated that or well aware of whether this would actually be a fully resolved issue. And that was part of her consideration of well, hold on a second. You mean this wouldn't necessarily resolve that issue? You don't know if there's other actual investigations? It's a problem, ding, ding, ding. But it also lends credence now. Not only the point you raised about the whistleblowers, which, by the way, part of their claim was that those who were investigating, akin to, say, a police officer who arrests someone and then says to the prosecutor, here's what I arrest the person on, how dare you diverge from that? Well, the prosecutor is the one that has the power to decide sure. what to bring. And so just because you wanted something different doesn't mean that it was a justifiable prosecution. But now it raises questions about what else was a part of it and why would David Weiss have in writing, I think it was twice in writing, have already said, no, I actually did have the power. It seems what he meant was I had the power in Delaware and now I want the power other places, maybe D.C., maybe California as well as now a part of it. So it raises a lot of questions. But again, it goes back to the point where you know, it was in his hand, the bird in hand. Now you've got two jurisdictions in the bush because the plea agreement fell through. So and, and lastly, so one of the reasons there are a couple of reasons why the judge was pushing at this plea yeah. agreement. One of them was she didn't think that the gun charge thing was was legitimate and she didn't want to have to supervise all that. But then one of the other things was th- they weren't on the same page. The question about whether or not Hunter Biden could be charged in the future, right? Hunter Biden's teams thought, no, no, this is the yeah, end of it. That, and that was key to them. And yeah. They made it clear, look, if you pull back and say this is not the end of it, we're going to trial. And not only are they willing to go to trial, they're confident they're going to win. But but w- what I'm saying is if I'm Hunter Biden, now I'm playing I'm, I'm Hunter Biden. If I'm Hunter Biden, I'm like... You've been David Weiss, you've but, been Hunter Biden, well, you're Jake Tapper. I, like I mean, on, there you go. I like to put on lots of hats. So 
If I'm Hunter Biden, I'm thinking, wait a second, this is going to get much, much, much worse for me, as opposed to a plea deal where they had the uh, opportunity, if they wanted, to bring future charges. Now I have even now it's even worse. None of it was good for Hunter Biden. Sure. But isn't this worse? It depends what the eventual outcome is, right. right? This is a long game. If he goes to trial, if his benefactor and attorney pays for that and he is ultimately acquitted, that is stressful. That is a, an awful thing, as we both know, to go through. But maybe that is better in the long run. It's unclear. The whole thing's a disaster for everyone. All right, Paul and Laura, thanks so much. Uh, did the attorney general need to appoint a special counsel? I'm going to talk to someone who used to do his job. Plus, why today's announcement rattled Republicans who have been leaning towards an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Plus, this just in a judge's order in the 2020 election interference case involving Donald Trump after a hearing earlier today and the tragic scenes from Hawaii. Heartbreaking, really. One man told CNN he escaped flames, but others around him were jumping into the water, into the ocean, and they likely died. You'll hear his story ahead. Continuing with our law and justice lead, you might think congressional Republicans would be thrilled that Attorney General Merrick Garland has named a special counsel in the Hunter Biden probe. Actually, we're mostly hearing complaints from Republicans because they don't like the choice of David Weiss. David Weiss was a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for Delaware as the special counsel now. Nobody's actually on Capitol Hill because it's a Friday in August, but a social media post from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says, quote, this action by Biden's Justice Department cannot be used to obstruct congressional investigations or whitewash the Biden family corruption. If Weiss negotiated the sweetheart deal that couldn't get approved, how can he be trusted as a special counsel, unquote? A statement from the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer, reads, quote, this move by Attorney General Garland is part of the Justice Department's efforts to attempt a Biden family cover-up, unquote, And that echoes what Chairman Comer told me yesterday here on The Lead. So we're concerned that the president is compromised because of the millions of dollars that his family's received. And remember, Jake, the president hasn't been truthful with the American people. This is why we're investigating. And it's difficult, Jake. It's very difficult. The, the Biden attorneys are obstructing. They're intimidating witnesses. The DOJ will not cooperate with us. The FBI will not cooperate with us. The IRS will not cooperate with us. With us now, former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez. He served in the George W. Bush administration. First of all, uh, General Gonzalez, um, thanks for joining us. What's your reaction to today's news that U.S. Attorney Weiss is now special counsel Weiss? Well, I mean, it's surprising given the fact that he's been investigating this case uh, in his status as a U.S. attorney out of Delaware. Um, Everyone's wondering, well, why now? Why why this change? Honestly, I don't know. Um, From my perspective, uh, and again, there's so much that goes into these kinds of decisions, information that as attorney general you may have that others don't have. So I'm just speculating here and don't intend this to be second guessing. But, you know, looking at the circumstances here, it seems like there wasn't there was a conflict uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, Hunter Biden is the son of the president and the president, the person that appointed the attorney general. And why wasn't um, uh, a special counsel appointed as soon as President Biden took office? And it may be the feeling the calculation was that um, there would be enough insulation, enough confidence in someone who had been appointed by Donald Trump had been confirmed by Republican controlled Senate that that would be sufficient uh, to uh, uh, maintain confidence in the integrity of an investigation of the son of the president. And maybe this, you know, maybe uh, uh, it may be as simple as attorney general 
Garland, particularly at, if, in fact, the uh, Weiss came to him and, and asked that he right. be appointed a special counsel. Maybe the circumstances have changed so much. Uh, this has become so po- so politicized and polarizing that he felt that w- this is the appropriate thing to do. But again, from my perspective, I always wondered about the why wasn't there an obvious conflict? And again, but I think perhaps it's because uh, uh, no special counsel was appointed because of, of the fact that Weiss was appointed by President Trump and confirmed by Republican-controlled Senate. Yeah. So we are where we are. But again, I'm just speculating. I'm not intended to, in any way to have my comments uh, be reflect any kind of criticism or second guessing of the attorney general. He has more information than we do, quite frankly. Jay. He sure and does. Hopefully it's- soon we'll, we'll, we'll find, the, find out the answer. But I'm, I guess what I'm one really wondering about, so uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss goes to Merrick Garland on Tuesday and says he wants special counsel powers, even though in previous months he had asserted in writing that he had all the power he needed to do the job. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, you know, the, he had the, a plea deal he was ready to engage in with Hunter Biden, basically a slap on the wrist, a misdemeanor charge uh, and a diversion program. Now he's asking for special counsel power, uh, which would suggest knowledge of greater crimes, theoretically, um, because I don't know why you would Perhaps. want special. Ca- no, not necessarily. Why would you want special counsel power for a misdemeanor and a, and a diversion program? Well, I again, Jake, you know, we don't know. Right. Uh, what I do know, hearing some of the commentary, you know, that this sort of ensures that this is going to go to trial. I'm not so sure that's the case here because the risk is potentially much greater personally for Hunter Biden, but it also is bad for his father. And uh, I don't know what the relationship is by all accounts. Certainly from the present side, you know, they're, they're close. He loves his son. Uh, but does does the son really want to put the president through a trial in the middle of the campaign? So it's it's possible. I'm not going to say it's very likely, but it's only possible that this that there will be some kind of settlement still and that this will not go to trial. But you know, again, there's there's so many unanswered questions. I just don't know. Even based upon my experience as attorney general, I just don't know. House Republicans are signaling that they want to move forward with an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Um, will the existence of a special counsel interfere with that? I fear probably, probably not, uh, because they uh, they understand that they will not get information as long as the investigation is, is ongoing. And so that, that their congressional investigation is going to be stymied. And so I think that they're going to elevate it, trying to do something uh, to appease their base. And so they'll begin an impeachment inquiry, which honestly, I mean, impeachment in, into criminal wrongdoing uh, against the president of the United States for actions of his son. But again, that's that's the world that we live in today. So you based on what you just said, it sounds like you don't you haven't seen evidence that President Biden did anything criminal. I haven't seen evidence and I haven't I haven't heard of any evidence coming out of the congressional hearing to date. Uh, to the contrary, it appears that th- th- there is no such evidence. Um, but but again, this is this is the world that we live in. Uh, one other thing that I will say you know, in terms of uh, this is not intended as a criticism of President Biden, but statements that, in fact, that his son did nothing wrong. You know, I, I don't know how he can continue to say that when his son was willing to willing to plead took criminal wrongdoing. And so that message is probably going to have to be calibrated to some extent. But, um, you know, remains to be seen what's going to happen going forward, Jake. Former U.S. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, good to see you, sir. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Jake.
Coming up next, what a judge said today about future inflammatory statements by Donald Trump and what those comments could mean for the federal case against him and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And we're back with our Law and Justice lead. This time, let's switch parties from the Democrats to the Republicans. A federal judge has just issued a protective order barring Donald Trump from publicly disclosing sensitive information, including witness interviews. That's turned over to his legal team as part of the 2020 election interference case. Judge Tanya Chutkin held her first hearing for the case earlier today. CNN's justice correspondent Jessica Schneider is with me. Uh, Jessica, what did Judge Chutkin have to say? Well, she was forceful, Jake, as we've seen. And as you mentioned just minutes ago, she did issue that official protective order. It mandates that Trump and his team can't disclose any sensitive information from the case. Notably here, she didn't give prosecutors that broad protective order that they wanted. But she did also issue several warnings to Trump and his team. She noted that even though Trump is running a political campaign, he still has to, in her words, yield to the administration of justice. And she said that if that means his political speech has to be somewhat limited, then that's how it's going to be. So she warned that she will, in fact, be carefully scrutinizing statements from both Trump and his legal team. And she didn't necessarily address some of Trump's most recent posts on his Truth Social page when he did criticize her, the judge, and he called the special counsel Jack Smith deranged. But she did put it this way. She said, even arguably ambiguous statements by the parties or their counsel, if they can be reasonably interpreted to intimidate witnesses or to prejudice potential jurors, that can threaten the process. So the government here, Jake, said they're prepared to start providing Trump's team with all of that discovery today. The expectation is they'll have it, have it all handed over by August 28th. And they talked about how wide ranging this material is. It includes hundreds of recordings of witness interviews. Trump will not be able to discuss any of those. It also includes 11.6 million pages of discovery and hard drives, Jake. You say Trump won't be able to discuss it. Uh, yeah. Just watch him. Um, Judge Chutkin wants the trial to start on January 2nd, she says, 2024. That date might slip, of course, but we should note the Iowa caucuses, the first in the nation uh, contest in the presidential race, that's Monday, January 15th. So January 2nd, that's fast and aggressive. Why, Why the urgency? Yeah, she's already showing this intent to move quickly. She had that hearing today, even though Trump's team only wanted it next week. And part of the reason she says she's moving very quickly here is, like you said, I mean, she seems concerned that Trump may actually say things he's not supposed to. And she put it this way. She said, you know, the more comments a party makes, the greater urgency will be that we proceed to trial quickly to ensure a fair jury pool. So, Jake, she does not want this case dragging on. Notably, the special counsel has proposed early January. Trump's team has until next week to propose their trial start date. It's likely they'll wait until after the November election in 2024 to want to begin trial. But we'll see. The judge really wants to move quickly here, Jake. All right, Jessica Schneider, thanks so much. Here to discuss CNN political commentator Jim Goldberg, co-founder and editor-in-chief of The Dispatch and a fellow at the conservative American Enterprise Institute. Jonah, thanks so much for joining us. So it's, this is interesting, uh, the judge, Judge uh, T- Chutkin, saying that if he makes inflammatory statements, that could taint a jury pool and that might cause her to proceed to trial more quickly. I mean, knowing Trump, I, I hope she's ready to start Monday uh, <laughs> based on what he might say. Uh, but in all seriousness, Iowa caucus is January 15th. She's pushing for January 2nd. Uh, is that fair? Is it feasible even? Well, uh, it, it seems to me that it's obvious that they're there's just simply no good options here. Like, good, good options are in the rearview mirror. Um, obviously, the Trump team wants to wait till after the election, in part because the hope is that if Trump wins, he just, blow, he just erases the whole thing. Um, so that's a bad outcome. That's a moral hazard. And 
uh, and doing it while he's running for president is not good really for anybody. And so you just sort of have to pick your battles where you can. I think you raised the most salient point, which is the and therefore what question. Let's say Trump does say something crazy. I know that's a real stretch. You know, <laughs> Take a moment to process that possibility. But says that's not just something crazy, but something that really does cross a line. What is the what does the judge Chuck can do, and then how does he respond to that? Because at some point, you could see in a normal circumstance, if he was the CEO of a normal company and misbehaving in these ways, you could see him end up going into jail, you know, for contempt. Putting a presidential candidate who's the front runner in jail for contempt—I mean, that's that's Eugene, a whole new level of crazy. Yeah, Eugene Debs territory. Yeah, um, help us get in the mind of of people who defend this. Uh, people that I see you fighting with on Twitter all the time. You wrote in a, in a recent article on the dispatch, you wrote, when arguing with Trump diehards, one of my favorite tactics is to agree with them. What, what do you mean? Well, because Trump, you know, people remember, we remember all that, you know, he plays four dimensional chess and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He actually plays like a Chinatown tic-tac-toe chicken, right? It's just in the moment. <laughs> and so he'll say things in the moment that get him out of a specific accusation. So like you would say, I declassified all of these documents, right? Well, those documents were declassified for a reason. So he's basically saying, I declassified incredibly sensitive material so I could show it off to my friends at Mar-a-Lago, right? right. That is not a great defense. Similarly, when he says, um, when his defenders say, oh, look, he just believed that he won the election and he was acting on that and you can't prove his state of mind. And so then you run through the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, 63 courts, um, uh, private firms he hired to investigate claims of fraud, all coming back and saying, yeah, there's just no there there. You're wrong. You didn't win. All of the facts are against you. And the defense is, yeah, but he was just so delusionally deranged with his idea that somehow you can't prove otherwise. Okay, okay, so maybe that's a good legal defense, but it is an incredible indictment of the guy as a, as a leader, as a human being, as a president. It shows he's unfit if he's that out of touch with reality. What do you think of uh, this move by Merrick Garland today, the attorney general, to make U.S. Attorney uh, David Weiss's special counsel in- investigating uh, David Weiss? We've heard uh, Republicans on the House and Senate saying they, they didn't like uh, the plea deal that David Weiss signed off on. The judge didn't like it. So why, would, why should they trust him to be special counsel? I think it's a colorful complaint. I also think, you know, there are a lot of Republicans on the Hill who think that the real reason for this is that um, it will stymie investigations on the Hill. People get to say, including Weiss himself, hey, look, it's an investigation. I can't come testify and jeopardize an ongoing investigation. And it just it slows down the gears of Representative Comer's, Chairman Comer's investigation. I think the bigger issue here, which you were sort of getting at as you were quizzing people trying to figure this thing out, is... We have no really reliable narrators anywhere here, right? I mean, Garland isn't telling us all the facts that they have. Weiss isn't telling us all the facts that they have. Joe Biden has made it clear that his preference is to uh, back his son to the hilt, even when the facts go the other way. The main accuser against Hunter Biden, who I do think, whether it's criminal or not, is an obviously corrupt influence peddler. And his main accuser is his former business partner, who's in the same corrupt business, um, who's under investigation for all sorts of other things. There's no one here to really say, this is a straight shooter, this is what's going on. So it's very hard to parse. And you don't, and you don't think Hunter Biden, Biden is that straight shooter? I do not think Hunter Biden. <laughs> I, I'm breaking news here. Yeah. <laughs> Jonah Goldberg, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We're going to go to live to Hawaii next, where the stories we're hearing are just heartbreaking. One man who saw neighbors trapped by flames says a motorcycle saved his life. Stay with us. 
And topping our national lead today, devastation on the Hawaiian island of Maui. The death toll from the fires has reached a confirmed 55 people. Officials are warning that number will likely soar even higher. Thousands of people have been displaced. Thousands more remain without power or methods of communications. The Maui County mayor says the historic town of Lahaina is, quote, all gone. The town has no power, no internet. No one knows how many survivors or victims could still be in those scorched remains you're looking at. Residents of the hard-hit town are allowed back into their homes today to get a first look at the ashes left behind. CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, is on the island of Maui with more now on the utter destruction. The trees that you guys see behind you right here, this was all from the tornado that came through. No, we've never even seen a tornado in Hawaii. In a place so familiar with weather extremes. Wow, it's crazy. Maui locals have never seen anything like the firestorm that obliterated Lahaina. We just saw a little like smolder of smoke. And we're like, wow, like the house had survived. And now there's a little brush fire. And then within like five minutes, the whole thing was engulfed. It went up in flames. Really? There's nobody there to put anything out. We're just pulling into Lahaina now, just getting our first glimpse at this town after hearing these nightmare stories and it is worse than you can imagine it looks like a world war ii set like a bomb went off here just utter scorched devastation everywhere melted boats in the harbor what was once the capital of the kingdom of hawaii and one of the most well-preserved towns in the nation is ash including bill wyland's famous art gallery And he says he escaped the flames on his Harley Davidson, riding around evacuees trapped between fire and ocean. Had I took the car instead of motorcycle, I'd probably been with everybody else jumping in the water. It was, it was, I mean, it was flames were shooting over the top, coming at. I didn't even want to look behind me because I knew they were behind me. And there's nowhere to go. You're pinned between the fire and the ocean. That's what happened to all the people, I think, is all those cars that were sitting waiting for someone to move in front of them. No one was moving anywhere. You were, you were dead in the water. Yeah, I was jumped in the they all jumped and in the ocean, and in. a lot of them didn't make it, from what I heard. No, a lot of people. I'm sure if the if the winds were 80 miles an hour, the, the surf must well, have been. It wasn't just that. There was diesel fuel floating in the water as oh, well, gosh. and the Coast Guard couldn't come in too far because of the reefs, and a lot of the people can't swim that far. And then a couple of people died of smoke inhalation as well. They were just inundated. I know so, a lady that stood in the water for eight hours. Farmer Eddie Garcia lost a small fortune in crop damage, but now is bracing for much bigger losses. My God, like when I was down there early, there were uncles and people I know in the street dead. People were trying to get to the end of the street. You can tell by where the cars that were parked. They say hundreds of people jumped in the water. You personally lost uh, crops? Like what, what is the? I lost nothing compared to what people lost. I lost farm stuff and food and whatever, tiny little things compared to what people lost. People lost their family. They lost their houses. Everything we've seen all the landmarks, everything that we've seen for years, history, it's all gone. This is the uh, closest port to the south of Lahaina here in Maui. Yesterday we saw everyone from fishermen to charter captains who are usually shooting surfer videos uh, going out and trying to bring relief. But now you're seeing road traffic. They just started opening up the road to Lahaina, but there's so much confusion Uh, Right now, we just had someone drive by yelling their frustration about the government response right now. Uh, You know, Jake, I've covered a few of these from the Florida Keys in Irma, where we heard really 
horrific stories about body counts that might be pending. We saw it in Paradise, California, the deadliest fire in U.S. history. But about 90% of those people turned out to be just fine. Right now, so many people are worried that the death toll could go into the many hundreds because of the lack of communication. So much electricity is down. Uh, people just don't know, have no way to get proof of life uh, for their families. So the outpouring now is, is starting. The compassion, Jeff Bezos, who's fond of Hawaii, and his wife donating $100 million to a Maui relief uh, right now. But the days ahead, we're afraid, are just going to become more grim as people come to grips with how much has truly been lost here, Jake. All right, Bill, we are on Maui for us with the devastation. Thank you so much, Bill. And we know so many of you watching and listening right now want to help the victims of these Hawaii wildfires. You can uh, get an idea of the best ways to do so if you go to CNN.com slash impact, CNN.com slash impact, where we provide a list of vetted resources. Another way to do it is you can text Hawaii, H-A-W-A-I-I, to 707070 in order to donate. Hawaii, 707070. We'll be right back. In our politics lead, the Iowa State Fair in full swing. And Republican presidential candidates are there, of course, to court these first-in-the-nation voters. But to really sway the voters of Iowa, these candidates are looking for support from the first woman to ever lead that state. Trump has taken shots at her, thinking she's too supportive of Ron DeSantis. But CNN's Jeff Zeleny sat down with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, and he asked her if she plans to make an endorsement. Governor Kim Reynolds reveling in the Iowa State Fair and the Republican presidential race. She's at the center of both, rolling out a welcome mat to a parade of candidates five months before the Iowa caucuses ring the opening bell of the 2024 campaign. This is kind of a metaphor for all the candidates in the race. It is kind of right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get them to participate and do what they need to do and have some fun with it. She's showering all Republican hopefuls with attention, sizing up the field along the way, but staying neutral, at least for now. It's really important that they feel that they have kind of a fair shot and they're welcome here in Iowa. And uh, we, I want Iowans to have the chance to interact with them. You're not ruling out potentially an endorsement at the end. We'll see. I mean, I don't think you should ever say, never say, never, never. You know, I just will wait and see what happens. But I've made it clear, um, you know, I'm you know, probably looking at neutral, especially at the beginning of this. It's naturally going to start to narrow. And then we'll take a look at, you know, where it's at. Um, so it, but it's, it's early for that. <laughs> Reynolds wants Republicans to find the strongest candidate to win back the White House. She believes the race is far from settled. It's so early. People are paying so much attention to the national polls. And I can tell you, it's just not reflective of kind of what I'm hearing from Iowans as I'm traveling around. You think there could be surprises over the next five or six months? There's always surprises. It's just that's part of the process. I can't think of one caucus where there hasn't been you know, a surprise. For months, she's been hosting the Republican hopefuls and basking in their accolades. The best governor in the entire country, Kim Reynolds. She invited the candidates to join her on stage at the fair. All said yes, except former President Donald Trump. He's been lashing out, taking credit for Reynolds' election and attacking her for not supporting him. Reynolds, Iowa's first female governor, smiled and took exception to that. It's actually Iowans who made the decision to elect me in a really tough year. 2018 was not a good year for Republicans. Uh, I squeaked by. The 2018 midterms were in part a referendum on Trump, 
Last year, she won re-election by nearly 19 points and is remarkably popular among Republicans. Her once-close relationship with Trump has grown more complicated. Do you think Republicans are wrong to see him as the inevitable nominee? Well, I just said I think it's early. Our job is not to pick the winner necessarily, but to start to narrow the field, and that's really what the caucus has done. And Jake, the governor's popularity among Republicans makes her a valuable asset for all of these candidates to gain attention. And of course, if she would offer a recommendation at the end of the Iowa caucus campaign, that could also be incredibly helpful. She did repeatedly decline to say she would not issue an endorsement. She left that door open. But Jake, one thing is clear. This race is much more fluid here in Iowa than polls suggest. That's what she believes. And our conversations with Iowa voters also suggest that as well. Tomorrow here at the fair, the former President Donald Trump will be here, as well as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis doing dueling appearances. Jake, five months from next week are the Iowa caucuses. All right, Jeff Zeleny in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks so much. We'll back at the top of the hour with our top story, a special counsel appointed in the Hunter Biden case, a Democrat thinking about challenging Joe Biden for president next year. We'll be here live. We'll ask him if today's announcement impacts his decision. Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, entire towns reduced to ash from the fires in Hawaii. This is CNN. Learns that Maui's warning sirens were not active when the Lahaina fire started. Plus, a key hearing for the 2020 election fraud special counsel, the pushback on prosecutors from the judge, plus the warning to Donald Trump that could impact the trial timeline. And leading this hour, President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, is now the subject of a special counsel investigation. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced today he's elevating David Weiss, the U.S. attorney from Delaware, appointed by Trump, to the position of special counsel. Weiss was already investigating Hunter Biden for allegedly failing to pay more than a million dollars in taxes before the legal deadlines, plus a federal gun charge for lying about his drug use on a background check form. Last month, Hunter's lawyers thought they had struck a deal with Weiss and prosecutors, but that fell apart in court when the judge questioned it. Both sides say they tried to keep negotiating, but now the Justice Department says this case is all but certain to head to trial. Let's get right to CNN's Kara Now, Kara, what does this all mean for Hunter Biden, especially as his dad is running for re-election? Well, Jake, I mean, that means that this investigation is far from over. I mean, it had been going on for five years. Hunter Biden was close to this plea deal until it fell apart under the scrutiny of the judge last month. She was not prepared to sign off on it. So it seemed like everything was wrapping up. But a special counsel appointment means that it certainly isn't. And as the House Republicans continue to investigate Hunter Biden, the Justice Department's investigation, and including bringing in those IRS whistleblowers who are saying that they are investigative steps for stymied, it's certainly going to be a continuing thorn in the side of Joe Biden as he pursues re-election. Jake. So tell us more about uh, special counsel David Weiss and what he might do with these new special counsel powers. Well, David Weiss was appointed by former President Donald Trump in 2017 and confirmed unanimously by the Senate. So he was someone that the Biden administration decided to keep on because he was already independent, not someone that Biden had put into place. Uh, now, with the special counsel powers, it means that Weiss will have additional resources. He'll have a budget so he could bring in additional staff if he wants. It will also remove him from the day-to-day -day oversight of the Justice Department. Uh, but otherwise, he will be able to continue 
continue to investigate this as they've been. Uh, he will also be allowed to look into charging any potential crimes in other jurisdictions. So he doesn't have to stick in Delaware where this case is kind of gummed up before this one judge, he could pursue charges in other jurisdictions. Uh, so that that really gives him some of these additional authorities. And he will write a report that's required. And Garland today is saying that that's something he will make public. David Weiss has been investigating this for about five years. Um, and I think it's a legitimate question. Why now? Why did he ask just on Tuesday for special counsel powers? He had asserted before in writing uh, that he had all the power he needed. Yeah, I mean, Jake, that is the question today. It's the question we posed to Justice Department officials, and we haven't gotten an answer on it because, as you say, um, according to Garland, Weiss asked for this on Tuesday. And today in that press conference or his statement, Garland had said that the investigation had reached a stage where special counsel status was necessary. He did not elaborate on what that means, and we have not gotten any response on that so far. But, you know, also... In the court filings, the prosecutors told a judge today that today was the deadline for Biden's team to get back to them. So it's unclear how Tuesday fits with this deadline today. The judge is giving Biden's team until Monday to weigh in on this. Uh, but certainly uh, a lot of questions here still on why exactly now David Weiss needs special counsel status when before he and Garland said that he had all of the authority he needed to decide when, whether, and where to bring charges. Jake. All right, Carrick Scannell on top of it for us. Thank you so much. Joining us now, the former principal deputy assistant attorney general under George W. Bush, Tom Dupree, and here with me in studio, CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray. Tom, let me start with you. So special counsel Weiss, as a U.S. attorney, he worked on this plea deal that blew up last month, the same plea deal that a Delaware judge said she was not ready to approve because it was, quote, confusing, not straightforward, atypical, unprecedented. Why would the Justice Department appoint someone to be special counsel who wasn't able to get this case wrapped up the first time? Well, that's a great question. And the special counsel regulations actually contemplate that when you appoint a special counsel, you will choose someone who is outside the Justice Department. That way you can ensure that they're untainted, they are truly independent, and they come in with a fresh perspective. That didn't happen here. Look, I suspect what's going on is Merrick Garland was approached uh, by Mr. Weiss, who said, look, this case is actually going to go to trial now. I may have to file charges in jurisdictions other than Delaware. I thought this investigation may have been reaching closure. It's not. There's still several chapters to be written. And because I've got to do these additional things I didn't contemplate doing, I want more authority. That's my guess as to how this all unfolded, Jake. But it is a great question as to why he wasn't made a special counsel years and years and years ago. Yeah. And having some direct answers on this would really be good. Some transparency is needed. Um, Sarah Hunter's lawyers uh, reacted with a statement today saying, quote, it is hard to see why he would have proposed such a resolution if there were other offenses he could have successfully prosecuted, and we are aware of, of none. So another question of my many uh, about all of this is he was uh, Mr. Weiss, then U.S. Attorney, now Special Counsel Weiss, was ready to basically let Hunter off with a, a slap on the wrist, a misdemeanor and a, and a diversion program. Uh, now he wants to be a Special Counsel? Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, there are questions about why this is happening now, and there are also questions about what it means that this investigation is continuing with him as a special counsel. I think the concern 
always when you are the person who is the subject of a special counsel investigation is these things have a way of ballooning. I mean, in the order appointing David Weiss, it notes that this was an investigation into Hunter Biden, among others. And then it goes on to say that now as special counsel, uh, David Weiss can investigate these ongoing investigations as well as any other matters that have arisen or may arise. And so I do think that there's a great question here about what does this mean? Does this mean that we have a lot of investigative steps ahead of us, that there's more that David Weiss wants to look into? Or is this just a question of, okay, look, if we're going to trial, I want to be able to do this in D.C. or I want to be able to do it in California and I want to be able to do it as a special counsel without having to partner with a bunch of U.S. attorneys. In California, because that's where Hunter Biden lives now? Right. Okay. Tom, uh, the whistleblowers, the IRS whistleblowers, we had one of them on the show a few weeks ago, they said, they testified before Congress that then U.S. Attorney Weiss had privately complained he did not have the power to charge in any venue. And the Justice Department pushed back on that at the time. But does this move today suggest that the whistleblowers were correct? It certainly does seem to validate their testimony, Jake. I mean, that to me would be the number one reason why Weiss wanted that special counsel designation, because he knew he needed now to charge Hunter Biden in California and maybe also the District of Columbia. He didn't have that authority as U.S. attorney for Delaware. That's why he needed the special counsel designation. And that, according to the whistleblowers, is why the guy has been chafing behind the scenes for years, saying, I want to bring these prosecutions in other states, but I can't because Merrick Garland hasn't made me a special counsel. So what the whistleblower said at the time seemed a little puzzling and perplexing, but I got to say, seems to be borne out by today's events. Yeah. And Sarah, I mean, the politics of this are unavoidable. Uh, Joe Biden is running for reelection. Now there's a special counsel investigating his son, who has already admitted doing things wrong in his book and uh, was ready to do so before uh, a criminal court. Yeah, I think that if you are Joe Biden right now, you'd be happy to have the attention on Donald Trump and his myriad of legal problems and his various indictments and potential upcoming indictments. And instead, you now have a special counsel when it comes to your son, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, you're also dealing with a special counsel yourself. I mean, Joe Biden is still in the middle of a special counsel investigation that has not shown any sign of wrapping up. And that does make it messy. I mean, he is the commander in chief. And so the Republicans, especially on Capitol Hill, are going to continue to take aim at him and anything that appears to be you know, wrong in this investigation, any daylight between what the Justice Department is doing now, what they've heard from these whistleblowers, is going to be a constant source uh, of fodder for attack against Joe Biden. And Tom, I, this is this trial, uh, and I can't help but think, wow, they should have settled. But, but this trial, um, might President Biden have to testify? Well, that is a $64,000 question. And my sense is the answer is no, if this remains a tax case. If the special counsel comes up empty as to other charges, other defendants, then it's hard to see how President Biden testifies. But look, American history is replete with examples of special counsel investigations that expanded and ballooned well beyond their original mission. Bill Clinton started with Whitewater and ended with Monica Lewinsky. You never know how they're going to go. So, yes, if the special counsel starts looking at Hunter Biden's business dealings and charges arise out of that, I would say there's a very good chance that we see President Biden take the witness stand. Wow. Tom Dupree, Sarah Murray, thanks to both of you. How will the special counsel investigation into Hunter Biden impact a possible impeachment inquiry from the House of Representatives? Republican Congressman Ken Buck joins me next. Then it's all gone. Look at the horror from the Hawaii fires as people are allowed back to what once were their homes. 
Continuing with our law and justice lead, the appointment of U.S. Attorney David Weiss as special counsel in the Hunter Biden probe. Weiss, a U.S. Attorney uh, Trump holdover, has already been on the Hunter Biden case. The House Judiciary Committee was negotiating with Weiss to try to have him testify about the investigation. Let's go to CNN's Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill. Uh, Republicans still want to hear from Weiss? Yeah, they really do, Jake. This has really changed very little in terms of House Republican investigations into Hunter Biden. They wanted to hear from David Weiss because they had heard from whistleblowers earlier this summer who talked about feeling as though the investigation into Hunter Biden was not being pursued the way it needed to be because there was some kind of political interference. And specifically, Weiss had pushed back on those assertions, saying that he had never asked to be a special counsel. Obviously, on Tuesday, he did make that request. But the argument from Weiss was he wanted to come set the record straight before the House Judiciary Committee. So today you heard from the House Judiciary Committee spokesman Russell Dye saying exactly that they still want to hear from David Weiss. Quote, we expect the department to fully cooperate with our investigation including not interfering with 11 transcribed interviews we have requested, and David Weiss upholding his commitment to testify. They are arguing that they have not heard anything to the contrary from the Department of Justice. Of course, we have reached out to see if that calculus has changed on their end, with a lot of Democrats telling me earlier today that this does sort of change the mechanics of whether or not a sitting special counsel can come and testify about a potentially ongoing investigation. So that is one of the huge question marks coming out of today and something we expect that House Republicans may continue to push on. They have a conference-wide call on Monday night to discuss the appropriations process, but also to talk about their investigative portfolio. You can expect this is probably going to come up. Yeah, it's easier to call a U.S. attorney than a special counsel to testify before Congress. Traditionally, it has been at least. How might this appointment complicate things for Republicans who are intent on moving forward on on the uh, impeachment inquiry uh, that they want to open, targeting uh, President Biden? Yeah, if you look at what conservatives are saying in statements today, and we should note, Jake, that they are away on congressional recess, but they don't think it complicates anything. In fact, they think that this emboldens their argument that they've been making, that they think that the DOJ is politicized, that Hunter Biden has not been investigated to the full extent that he needed to be, that their investigations are making up ground, that it would be a dereliction of duty not to continue these investigations. You know, I spoke with one Republican today who argued that despite Despite the fact they may not be ready to vote for impeachment, they have no concerns about opening an impeachment inquiry. And that is an important distinction that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been trying to make, that they are talking about opening an inquiry, but that they are not talking about a formal vote yet on impeachment. But as you note, Jake, it is important to point out that once you open those floodgates, it's very hard to pull back members from potentially calling for impeachment at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Joining us now to discuss Colorado Republican Congressman and member of the House Judiciary Committee, Ken Buck. Um, Congressman, is Weiss the wrong guy to be special counsel? I don't think he is at all. I think he's the right guy. He's a Republican appointee, so I don't think he's going to show bias towards the uh, the Biden administration or or Hunter Biden or the president. I think that he's experienced as a prosecutor, having run the U.S. attorney's office. And the most important thing is you don't have to get a whole new group of people up to speed on this prosecution. We have statute of limitations that are running and uh, you don't want to blow a statue in order to uh, just get someone else on board. 
Um, and the allegations of bias were bias uh, regarding the political appointees in the Department of Justice. They weren't, to my knowledge, uh, allegations that the U.S. attorney ha- was biased at all. Right. But Speaker McCarthy and, and the spokesman for Jim Jordan and others have said that U.S. attorney, now special counsel Weiss, negotiated this plea deal that was rejected so he shouldn't be the special counsel. It sounds like you don't agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. Uh, the, the, the plea deal was rejected because there was some ambiguity in the plea agreement as to whether uh, the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office could continue to bring uh, charges in the future. In, in my opinion, I think the toughest decision that this uh, special counsel now is going to have to make is uh, they, they charged misdemeanors because there was a plea agreement. This is felony conduct. If, if the uh, plea agreement has withdrawn and it's fallen apart, They've got to make a decision on whether they charge felony tax crimes and go to trial on those felony tax crimes, as well as continue to investigate the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Uh, as Lauren just reported, there, there could be some issues with uh, the House's efforts to try to get Weiss to testify, although Judiciary uh, Committee Chairman Jim Jordan still wants him to show up. How do you expect that to work? Because in the past, U.S. Uh, attorneys, it's easier to get them to testify than special counsels. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think it would set a new precedent and a bad precedent. I think that uh, special counsel uh, are assigned to investigate a very serious case. In this case, it might lead to impeachment. Um, the Obviously, there are political benefits for members of the Judiciary Committee and the House as a whole to investigate someone and be able to talk about uh, that information that's gleaned from the investigation. But I don't think the uh, House Judiciary Committee wants to interfere with an ongoing investigation that could lead to impeachable uh, information coming forward. So I I think that the best that we could possibly hope for is a very narrow scope of a uh, hearing uh, where the uh, special counsel now uh, would not be crossing the line into discussing issues that are involved in ongoing prosecutions. Have you seen any hard evidence that President Biden broke any laws or did anything wrong in any of this? We, we've been hearing uh, from Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer uh, talking about investigating the president, but, but uh, we had Attorney General Gonzalez on uh, earlier, and he said he hadn't seen any evidence that President Biden uh, had done anything wrong. Yeah, I, I haven't seen You're talking to a prosecutor of 25 years. I haven't seen uh, hard evidence. Hard evidence to me is visually listening to a witness, uh, hearing a witness, um, being able to examine documents. And so uh, to me, we've heard a lot of hearsay from news sources. We've heard a lot of uh, conjecture on the Internet. But in terms of hard evidence that that uh, Joe Biden was directing Hunter Biden uh, in his uh, really uh, dishonorable conduct in, in selling the office of the vice president or uh, receiving money from Hunter Biden in, in that regard, there's certainly conjecture as to those issues uh, that, you know, the, the fact that Devin Archer testified that that uh, Joe Biden was on the uh, phone with many of Hunter Biden's clients uh, doesn't look good. But until we actually have hard evidence of what was discussed and whether Hunter Biden was directing people uh, to engage his son in these activities, uh, I think that would be uh, criminal conduct and and impeachable conduct. I have heard conjecture. I have not seen hard evidence of that. Yeah. And I believe Devin Archer has said that while President Biden or then Vice President Biden would get on the phone and, and talk to those business associates of Hunter Biden, they never talked about the business Uh, per se, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Colorado Republican Congressman 
Uh, Ken Buck, always good to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Our next guest has weighed challenging President Joe Biden in the Democratic primaries. Will the Hunter Biden special counsel impact his decision? That's next. Just moments ago, President Biden left the White House. He was peppered with questions by reporters. Take a listen. Lots of questions about the special counsel appointed to investigate his son, about Maui. As you can see, Mr. Biden ignored reporters' questions. Uh, But uh, that is what presidents do, especially when you're asked about a family member's growing legal troubles. Um, The White House is referring all questions about Hunter Biden and the newly named special counsel to the Justice Department and to Hunter Biden's personal representatives. Let's talk about this with Minnesota Democratic Congressman uh, Dean Phillips. Congressman Phillips, good to see you. Uh, You have uh, recently been talking publicly about considering challenging President Biden in the Democratic primaries. Uh, Do today's developments, uh, special counsel investigating Hunter Biden, does that make that more or less likely? Well, Jake, let, let me start by changing the conversation from me. It's not about me. This is about a message uh, and a wake-up call that I am trying my darndest to deliver to Democrats, 55% of whom, before today's news, uh, wanted an alternative to the three candidates in the primary right now. Uh, and I've said that from the very beginning. I've had concerns. Uh, the numbers are horrific, the polling numbers. 55% of Democrats wanting an alternative. Uh, Independents, about 73% want an alternative. And let me just assume that 100% of moderate Republican never-Trumpers are saying we want an alternative. We will not vote for the sitting president. And I want to share with everybody, I love Joe Biden. I think he's a man of decency, of competency, his record extraordinary. I voted for it. I've helped market it and distribute it. I think the world of him. But I also believe my job is not duty-bound to the president, to my party, Uh, but to the Constitution and country. And right now, I have grave concerns based on the fact that 55% of Democrats are saying we want alternatives. I am scared. I'm trying to raise that bell, be the clarion call, if you will. Uh, And I've said from the get-go as well, I am not best positioned to do this. There are ample, well-prepared, competent uh, people of great character ready to go. And I think if the president would consider passing that torch now, just imagine, Jake, the energy behind a next generation on the Democratic primary stage, perhaps a woman at the top of the ticket in a year in which reproductive rights are going to be front and center, other than the former president being under indictment and now the son of the president we have right now uh, being subject to a special counsel. Uh, It's a sad day for America. I want to start with that. I do not Mm -hmm. think the president is corrupt. I want to make that really clear. But we are duty-bound to investigate Uh, to ensure the facts come out. And the fact is, we don't know where this goes. And I think it's too much risk for Democrats to take this chance without a backup plan, uh, because what we have right now in reserve is awfully consequential and, frankly, frightening. So you you are worried that a special counsel probe of Hunter Biden could potentially hurt uh, President Biden, not only politically, but you said who knows where this goes in terms of maybe splashing on the president himself. Jake, I I really cannot imagine that this reaches the president. I think it's fairly clear that Hunter Biden, a former addict, 
this is um, unsavory, uh, probably unethical and possibly illegal. Some of what he did, we will find out. I don't think it touches the president, but we all know what kind of an era we live in. You know, it's not what's real, it's how people feel. And these numbers I shared earlier that are so horrendous and frightening were before the news of today. Uh, if anybody believes this doesn't hurt, I, you must be living in a different world than I am. And I'm simply calling attention to the facts. And I'm concerned uh, about the Democratic establishment working much too hard to prevent any new entrance, uh, to prevent competition, instead pursuing a coronation. And frankly, uh, we did something similar in 2008. And thank goodness, a first-term uh, senator from the state of Illinois raised his hand, stood up, met the moment, and we had Barack Obama become United States president. Uh, I just think that we should be mindful of history, recognize the consequences of not having a backup plan, Jake, because one of the core elements of successful leadership uh, is a succession plan, being sure that there's somebody able, ready to go. Mm. And I'd like to see the president actually invite people to the primary stage. And again, not me. You know, I'm a, I'm a third-term congressman from Minnesota. I think I'm able and prepared for the job, but I'm a third-term congressman. I have 60,000 Twitter followers and $250,000 in my campaign account. There are people ready to go, governors in particular, moderate governors Ooh. from the heartland, uh, th that I think, I, I'll tell you what, Jake, I've been someone who always reaches out to people before I talk about them. And sadly, some have asked that I not even reference their names right now, which is a pretty good indicator of how this establishment blocks prevents and silences people. And I'm here to speak. I think I'm the only one. I think I'm the only member of the Congress, a Democrat, out of 262 people, yeah. giving voice to the majority, the majority of Democratic voters in the well, country and those 80% of independents who are saying the exact same thing. That's do, my job. Doing, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Doing the math, and I'm doing this on the fly, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I can only think of two Democratic governors from the heartland who are women, uh, one of whom uh, is from Kansas and one of whom uh, is from Michigan. Uh, are you suggesting that one of them, specifically, I, I, I'm just to, to take a leap here, Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, is somebody you would like to see throw her hat into the ring? I think there are about five names. Everybody watching right now probably knows who they are. They've had, they're on the bench. They've got organization. They, have, they would have institutional support. They have access to the extraordinary amount of money, resources necessary to mount a credible primary campaign. Everybody doesn't know who they and are. I, 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 hate to be, I hate to be rude, but everybody doesn't know who they are because, as you note, uh, President Biden is you know, basically only being challenged by uh, anti-vaxxer uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. and Marianne Williamson, uh, maybe by you, although you know, 60,000 Twitter followers and $250,000 in the bank doesn't exactly sound like you're, you want to enter the race. So I'm, I'm discussing Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, Jared Polis, uh, Pete Buttigieg. You haven't mentioned uh, or alluded to Vice President Harris, but she certainly is a woman and she's next in line. Sure. Do you want, do you want the, all those individuals to enter the race? Jake, let me just say this. You know, it, like I said, right now, the only thing preventing three, four, five, six, eight of the names you just mentioned uh, from appearing on that stage and making their case to Democratic voters. The only thing preventing that is we have an incumbent president uh, who essentially, with an institution around him, the establishment, uh, protecting those entrants. Nobody is willing to take a step that might affect their future. Perhaps that's why I'm the only one doing this. This is not about re-election for me. This is about our country, the future of democracy, 
and doing anything I possibly can to stop Donald Trump from returning to the White House. I, you know, Jake, in 2016, I woke up the morning after the election. I saw fear in my daughter's eyes for the very first time in my life, and I promised them I would do something. I ran for this seat, flipped a d district that had been in Republican hands for 60 years because of Donald Trump. So for anybody who thinks I'm trying to do something to undermine Democratic chances, that I'm paving a path for Donald Trump, it's actually, if you look carefully at what I'm trying to say, it is just the opposite. And there mm. are about six people maybe that are prepared. I like people that have some executive experience, that have some legislative experience, uh, and are people of good character and competency. And yes, I think it's time to turn the page. Americans are asking to turn the page. And by the way, it's not too late. If the, in, six, in, in six weeks, six months, it might be. So this has to be litigated and the conversations have to start right now. That is the only thing that I'm here to ask. That's my job. Democrat, Democrat Congressman uh, Dean Phillips from the land of 10,000 lakes, uh, Minnesota. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Have a good weekend. Uh, back with our law Thank and you, justice Jay. lead, a federal judge has just issued a protective order barring Donald Trump from publicly disclosing, quote, sensitive information related to the election interference trial, the election fraud trial. And while Trump has a right to free speech, Judge Tanya Chuckin warns, that right is, quote, not absolute. CNN's Caitlin Plants is with us now. Caitlin, this, this is quite a serious warning today from the judge. She's going to be scrutinizing every word he says, every word he types. That's right, Jake. And she said exactly that in this hearing to his lawyers and to the Justice Department, the first hearing that both sides were before her. She also said quite a few other things, primarily this idea that as she's going to be overseeing this case to trial, there is justice and there is politics and justice and Donald Trump getting a fair fair trial as a criminal defendant, that a jury isn't tainted, that comes first. That's first and foremost. Her decisions aren't going to be made based on politics. A quote from her directly was the fact that he is running a political campaign. Donald Trump currently has to yield to the administration of justice. And if that means he, Trump, can't say exactly what he wants to say in a political speech, that is just how it's going to have to be. And so in her protective order that she issued after the ruling, she did bar Trump from sharing publicly some of the information he's never been seeing before that he will get to see as evidence in this case. Things like witness transcripts when they testify to the grand jury, talk to the FBI, recordings that the Justice Department has of those witness interviews or some of those, also information from other agencies and anything they got back from subpoenas and search warrants. All right, Caitlin Plants, thank you so much. Two days ago, a community stood here and the pictures we're showing you right now. Today, it's basically just a pile of ashes. Coming up next, we're gonna get a bird's eye view of the destruction from the deadly Hawaii fires. And we're back with our national lead. When the wildfires began in Hawaii on Tuesday, Maui's warning sirens were not activated. That's according to state records, which show other parts of the emergency warning system were triggered, including phone and radio alerts. CNN's Veronica Miracle reports now from the island of Maui, where residents are still waiting to get back into some of the hardest hit areas. When the mayor said it's all gone, it's all gone. It's all gone. It's gone. Unimaginable shock. An entire city burned completely to the ground. Devastation. Everything. Gone. Everybody lost everything. 
We surveyed the damage from above and the destruction is difficult to imagine. The view from above is apocalyptic. You can see a row of cars clearly trying to make it out. Many of those stuck in accidents in a traffic jam on a one lane road. All of those cars reduced to ash. Lahaina residents will be allowed back into the city today to see the destruction up close, but not without a forewarning from the governor, who told a local TV station in Hawaii, I want to caution everyone, Lahaina is a devastated zone. They will see destruction like they've not seen in their lives. Everyone, please brace themselves as they go back. As some may be able to return to their hometown today, many others are still missing, and the amount of people unaccounted for remains elusive. Honestly, we don't know. And, and here's the challenge. There's no power. There's no internet. There's no radio coverage. And there's fear the climbing death toll will go even higher. I do not know what the final number is going to be. Um, and, and, and it's going to be horrible and tragic when we get that number. Thousands are still displaced and thousands of travelers are still waiting to get off the island. You know, we're just visitors. We're leaving primarily because we're just using up food and resources that the locals need. Nearly 11,000 people remain without power. We're talking about more than just days. We're talking about weeks to months in some cases to get energy fully restored. And shelter space on the island is filling up quickly. We're kind of at the limits in some of the central Maui ones and we'll have to be creative with our team uh, after this to try to get more uh, for folks out on the west side. We have tsunami warnings that I think should have been utilized. I think this could have been handled so much better in so many ways. Questions are now starting to circulate among the people who inhabited this once paradise island. Why weren't they warned sooner? I think that the tragedy would have been very difficult to anticipate, especially as it came in the night with high winds. But that does not mean that we won't do everything we can in the future to stop this. Jake, the police made an announcement that they're opening up the Lahaina checkpoint so that residents can go in. They actually started opening it up early. And so right now we are in that line. And you can see just through here, through the maps, how crazy busy it is. This is the checkpoint. This is where we are. And there are cars all behind us as well. This goes on for miles. Uh, we anticipate as residents get in, of course, they're going to see the destruction. And we imagine it will be chaotic. There are hundreds of people here trying to get back. Jake. Veronica Miracle on the island of Maui. Thank you so much. And we know so many of you watching and listening want to help the victims of these wildfires in Hawaii. And, and you can. Um, head to CNN.com slash impact, CNN.com slash impact, uh, where we have a list for you of vetted resources. Uh, another way you can do this is to text Hawaii, H-A-W-A-I-I, to 707070. That's a good way to donate for the good people of Hawaii. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. In our health lead today, the U.S. Supreme Court just inserted itself into the opioid crisis. Yesterday, the court blocked a settlement that would have protected the family behind Purdue Pharma from any opioid-related civil claims. Until recently, Purdue Pharma, which manufactured OxyContin, was controlled by the Sackler family. The Sacklers withdrew billions of dollars from the company before it filed for bankruptcy. The family had agreed to contribute up to $6 billion to Purdue's reorganization fund on one condition that the Sacklers receive a release from civil liability. But the Supreme Court order means the settlement payments to victims are now paused, and the court will take up the case and hear oral arguments in December. Timing 
of course, is everything because it just so happens that basically hours ago, Netflix premiered a new six-episode series called Painkiller, which takes a semi-fictionalized look at the opioid crisis and how Purdue Pharma cashed in on OxyContin at the expense of those who became hooked on the drug. Purdue is a real company bought by you and Arthur. They actually make something. Those people in there, they don't understand. Yeah, but you've never brought a drug to market, son. It takes a decade, and we've got nothing in the pipeline. It's a dead end. We know pain. Yeah, that's for damn sure. We developed MS Cotton. We understand pain. I understand pain. All of human behavior is essentially comprised of two things. Uh, Running away from pain and toward pleasure. It's a cycle. Pain, pleasure, pain, pleasure, again and again. Well, this circle is our existence. It is the very essence of what it means to be human, to be alive. But if we place ourselves right there between pain and pleasure, then we have changed the world. We finish what Arthur started. And the director of Painkiller, one of my favorite directors, Peter Berg, uh, joins me now. Um, Peter, um, congratulations on the series. It's, it's amazing. I, I do want to get your reaction to this Supreme Court order, um, because I know in the production of Painkiller, you work closely with actual families and actual advocates uh, impacted by the opioid crisis. Are you hearing anything from them about the Supreme Court putting the settlement on pause? Well, you know, first of all, hello, Jake. Thank you uh, for having me. Um, I've been talking mainly to a very knowledgeable individual named Barry Meyer, who wrote the book Painkiller that um, our our show is is used uh, intensely as source material. And, you know, it's interesting. It's basically it really comes down to the Sacklers who have always been very, very good with lawyers and very, very good at sort of hiding the nest egg of money and making little payments uh, that sound kind of big when you read about them, but that really are just basically interest payments on their fortune. Finally, um, uh, the Supreme Court has stepped in and said, well, hold up. Um, you, the, net, the nest egg is in play. And you thought you were going to be able to sort of make one lump payment not even a lump payment, but a $6 billion payment over the next two decades and protect your nest egg, not so fast. Um, it's surprising that it happened the day our show came out, um, but I think it's, it's the right thing to do. The opening scene in every episode features a real-life mom who lost oh. a child or an adult child to OxyContin addiction. Why did you decide uh, to take this this approach, and how did you how did you choose the moms? Well, I mean, we were told by legal that we had to put sort of this standard disclaimer in front of every episode. And what you're about to see is based upon facts. Some of the facts have been changed. That type of thing. Um, that didn't sit so well with me in relationship to Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers. Felt like we're sort of letting them off the hook. So I thought it might be interesting. If, if we could find parents whose children had actually died from opioids and Oxycontin specifically <clears throat> to read the disclaimer and then basically say, okay, what isn't fiction? What is real? Is it my 23-year-old daughter died of an Oxycontin overdose and this is real? Um, we thought that that would 
<clears throat> kind of set the tone for what we were trying to do with the show. Um, and what was particularly alarming was that we set out a, a call in just the LA area, just the Southern and central LA area to see if there were any parents who had lost children who would be willing to talk. And within one day, about 10 hours, we had 80 families, 80 from just this one little area of LA <clears throat> who all wanted to come forward and, and tell their stories. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, there's no shortage of families uh, reeling from this. Um, in your directing career, you took on the Saudi royal family uh, in the film The Kingdom. In your writing and directing career, you took on Al-Qaeda and Lone Survivor, the Boston Marathon terrorists, and Patriots Day. What are we to make of the fact that now you're looking at the Sackler family? I think I better hire some lawyers, Jake. <laughs> I'm going to need a bigger lawyer. Um, uh, I mean, I think there have been... You know, so there's been so much great work done from you know Barry Meyer, who I mentioned earlier, to the writers of Dope Sick, to the to the series Dope Sick, Nan Golden, the photographer, has an excellent documentary out now. There have been many films, uh, books, uh, scripted and unscripted, about this war, the opioid war, um, and I'm proud to be part of a team that continues to beat the drum, and I think the decision we saw yesterday in the Supreme Court um, is, is validation that it's a drum definitely worth beating. Well, it's a powerful show. Peter Berg, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Okay, Jake, great to see you, buddy. The vote that could help transform transportation in one major U.S. city. But first, here is CNN's Wolf Blitzer with what is next in the Situation Room. Wolf? Jake, we're going to have much, much more on the devastating Hawaiian wildfires, which have already killed at least 55 people. I'll be joined here in the Situation Room by the state's governor, Josh Green. We'll get his assessment of the conditions on the ground right now in Hardit, Maui, and what to expect in the hours and days ahead. All of that, much more coming up right at the top of the hour in the Situation Room. In our tech lead, yo, robo-taxi! In San Francisco, you can now hail a cab without a driver. California regulators approved 24-7 operation for two robo-taxi companies. What could go wrong? The robo-taxis allow users to request a ride similar to Uber or Lyft with one major difference. There's no one in the front seat. Be sure to tune in this Sunday to CNN State of the Union. I will be talking to Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono about the devastating wildfires in her home state. I'll also talk to Republican presidential candidate Will Hurd, Democratic Congressman Dan Goldman. It's at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday, only on CNN. The coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. I'll see you Sunday morning. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.